The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got postponements. We got reschedulements. We got injury updates on players. We got blowouts. We got giant comebacks. It was a fun, if short, Tuesday evening in the NBA. And we are here on Fantasy NBA Today to recap it all for you. First thing here on Wednesday morning. Big card coming up tonight. Trimmed down by three games getting postponed. And then two of the those six teams that were going to play in different spots found each other and they'll be playing instead so we're only sub two games off the original i think it was an 11 game slate that then became eight and now is back up to nine am i getting that right i probably screwed something up there in any event we got a lot to go over so we can dive on into it here in just a moment first things first welcome to the show everybody it's Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespers. Hope you guys are having a great week so far. I am having a week that is almost linearly correlated to how Chris Paul is playing basketball at any given moment. If Chris Paul has a good ball game, I'm probably in a pretty good mood. If Chris Paul has a terrible ball game, my mood tends to sink with it because he's the one guy that I have on almost every team. I have him on every roto team. Every one of my money roto teams, I have Chris Paul. Took him in the third round of every single one of those drafts, and I don't regret it at all right now. He's been crushing it. So I'm in a pretty good mood this morning, all things considered. The world may be ending. Maybe not. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Chris Paul played well. That's all that matters to me. (laughs) You can, if you listened to whatever that nonsense was and still think, I like this guy, you can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Quick shout-out here at the front end of the show to our YouTube channel. Really kicking ass these days. That is YouTube.com slash HoopBall. Strongly recommend you guys cruise on over there right now and subscribe. We have a lot of YouTube-exclusive content, which is kind of a cool thing to say. Makes me feel like I'm fancy and young and from the future, maybe. That exclusive, the the stuff that you can only get at YouTube, the YouTube YouTube exclusive content, which apparently is hard for me to say, is stuff like pregame shows, live pregame shows with our hosts that are talking about the games coming up just a few minutes before lineup lock, instant reaction shows to breaking news, which is also pretty sweet. It's something that you can kind of get on Twitter, but really in much more detail this way. So do check that out, youtube.com slash hoopball. Follow us over there. Subscribe over there so you know when we have shows dropping. Uh, there's going to be a, a severe ramp up too. Just more stuff, cooler stuff, prettier stuff. So that's our YouTube page. And also big thank you to everybody that keeps rating and reviewing the podcast. We're on our the path to 625 reviews, which, I you know, that's insanity. I don't even know 625 people. Right? But I don't know how many people I'm friends with on Facebook. (laughs) I don't think it's that many. So thank you to all of you guys that have taken time out of your day, whatever day it was, sometime in the last few years or even in the last few days, to cruise on over to the podcast app on your Apple-branded mobile device or in iTunes, search for Fantasy NBA Today. Choose it. 
Scroll to the bottom on your phone or click on the rating and review tab. Drop a five-star on it. I will continue to love you forever. You're the best. Let's do some NBA recap and analysis here on this Wednesday show. Things are going well for the things we've talked about. In fact, on yesterday's podcast, I spent a needless number of seconds lamenting the fact that we haven't gotten a C.J. McCollum update in forever. They said four weeks, and we'll get something. It's been almost exactly four weeks, and then sure enough, late on Tuesday, late afternoon, early evening time, the Blazers put out a statement saying that he was out of his walking boot, and he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, which I don't, personally, I hate the term reevaluated, and I think everybody that plays fantasy sports hates that term because it's usually reserved for, oh, we don't really know what the hell's going on, so we're just going to check things out in about two weeks, and we'll see what happens. Two weeks from today puts us at March the 3rd, March 3rd, which would be a Blazers home game against the Warriors. Uh, they host the Kings the very next day, and then you're into the All-Star break. So that that puts you right there. In fact, Portland has eight games. They've won tonight in New Orleans against the Pelicans. They have eight games between now and the break, which I think puts them at 35 games. They have one postponed, if I'm not mistaken. Blended in there. Didn't they lose one? In any event, the All-Star break is at the halfway point this year, which is kind of cool. They can't really do that normal seasons just because of the way the schedule lines up. I wish they would. But you also want All-Stars to have a little bit more, uh, a greater body of work. This season, they just didn't have that choice. They needed to book the year in two different chunks for scheduling purposes. And then the NBA, in this very obvious money grab, decided to have an All-Star game during that brief respite, which I don't like, I don't know how these players are doing the bubble thing during the all-star break. This seems like a really terrible idea. Doesn't this feel like a super spreader event? I hope to the good Lord, it doesn't derail the second half of the NBA season, because at that point you're, you don't have the time to, to reschedule anymore. You need those weeks to be the easy ones. I mean, we're, you know, you might see NBA players getting the vaccine by, I don't know, mid to late March, like a couple weeks into the second half of the season. You can't be obliterating a couple weeks in there with an outbreak, at least not caused by the NBA's decision-making itself. In any event, off topic here, if indeed McCollum comes back on the other side of the All-Star break, which it seems like maybe that'll be the what we're looking at, probably something around, you know, March 11th, March 12th, something like that. Uh, that would put him out for almost two months. But luckily, because of the break, because of a postponement in there, the number of missed games is, I don't want to say less overwhelming because he only played 13 and his team has now played 27 as of today so there you know he's racking up the dnps right now but if he's really back and he misses just another eight ball games that does give him a chance to miss 22 and play 50 which you know at this point you'll take it it's not what you were hoping for but it could be worse so that was something no real adjustments here it gives you a pretty good timeline on your gary trent streaming exhibition and, uh, yeah, you just, you know, you ride that till the wheels fall off. We might as well just start with the Portland game since that's the one we were talking about. I know it's right in the middle of the Monday, uh, Tuesday night card. Uh, but it was also a relatively uninteresting fantasy game in that Portland 
you got the usual suspects there. Ennis Cantor had a weird shooting game, but grabbed 21 rebounds. Gary Trent streaming along at 19 points, a couple of steals. Dame just going big every game because he has to. By the way, thanks to this recent McCollumless run, Lillard has pushed himself up at number 10 on a per-game basis. His field goal percent is a little bit lower this year. Otherwise, things are not all that far off season over season. He's at four three-pointers a game this year. Uh, you're having some pretty big fantasy games from guys in front of him that you know, haven't played as many as many games as Lillard has. So if you go by totals, he jumps a few of those names. But on a per-game basis, he's on his way up. Uh, Rocco, six points, nine boards, five assists, six blocks, two three-pointers. Thanks to this performance, Rob Covington now has moved himself up to number 70 on the season in nine category leagues. Remember that this dude was at like 145 and you guys kept yelling at me that you needed to drop him. And I was like, no, man, this guy's shooting 31%. You get him even up to 38, 39%. At that point, I was like, he's a top 75 in there. But luckily for our purposes in one game here with six blocks, he's dramatically changed his season block point for up to 0.8 now. I don't know what it was before this one because I've I've now lost. Oh, it went from 0.5 to 0.8 in one ball game, friends. That's how easy it is for a guy like Rob Covington. Last ball game he had four steals. This ball game he had six blocks. I mean, it's just. I mean, it, it, it he is who he is, right? 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, and going up. Even if it's stuck right there, he's at 36% shooting. we got to figure that continues to move towards his career mark around 40. And then you're talking about a guy settling near the top 50 again. Welcome back, Rob Covington. And maybe the best part of all of this is, you know, we thought he was going to have to improve on his usage to get there. He hasn't really had to change his usage. It's still down with the Blazers, but all that other stuff has come back around. Love it. Oklahoma City side, uh, Theo Maladon came back. Seven points, two boards, three assists, a steal. He did play 28 minutes. Funny thing about this ballgame is uh, Hamadou Diallo had 17-4-2 with a steal and a block. Lou Dort had 23-6-3, three threes, a steal. Darius Baisley, 14-6-6. Isaiah Roby had 11-10 with Al Horford kind of dialing it back a little bit and then probably getting a rest day uh, in their next one tomorrow. The, or today, I should say, um... The reason I think there's funny stuff going on with this team is that they have all these young, exciting guys. Lou Dort, who's you know one of the better defenders in the NBA now. Darius Baisley, who has this well-rounded fantasy game, but with these two glaring, disgusting, unavoidable issues in the percentages. And Diallo, who can fly, rebound, assist. Like There are all these guys that are really exciting on this team. And then the one that probably has the best path to actual 9-cat fantasy value is Maladon. At least until George Hill comes back, which, you know, we don't really know. It's been about a month. We were told there'd be some kind of update, and there sort of hasn't been. They're a scrappy team, those Thunder, and, you know, do at some point, do they just punt on Hill? I think Maladon's a guy that, you know, we're seeing here, he is the go-to backup point guard, although Shea 
tends to run the offense when he's out there. They would slide Lou Dort up to small forward. Kenrich Williams would go back to the bench when Shea comes back. Maladon would stay in. So if they ever move George Hill at some point this year, if he gets traded near the deadline, Maladon actually slides into a pretty good fantasy role. There are problems with his game, one of them being his percentages. It's this same rather annoying thing that we've run into with other guys on this club. But I would I would caution folks to read too much into the 63% foul shooting. He's 0.6 for 0.9, which is sort of hard to say. And then uh, he made three free throws in this ball game on uh, Tuesday night. And if you include that, he's actually then made nine of his last 10. So... It's come around a little bit, and I don't. I think the misses early this year were probably not a great barometer of what his free throw shooting is. Field goal percent, on the other hand, that's probably who he is. He's probably a, around a 40% field goal guy this year. A lot of his shots come from downtown. He's taking seven shots a game, and four of them are three-pointers so far this year. But if his minutes move from 22.5 up to 30 as a full-time starter, you're talking about a guy that probably then sniffs the kind of four to five assist range. He's actually shown himself to be pretty good with steals. He could be in that one and a half steals range. Uh, and you're probably looking at around, I don't know, 10 to 12 points per game. So 10 to 12 points per game, four and a half assists, one and a half steals. He would probably be over two, three pointers a game in 30 minutes of ball game. Uh, that gets him inside the top 100. And I don't know that anybody else on this team outside of the obvious ones, Shea Horford, basically, have a path to top 100 without any dramatic adjustments to things that don't tend to fix themselves in the middle of a season. Like with Baisley, both percentages. Dort, namely field goal percent, but also just kind of you know, generally doing things when he's on the floor that contribute in the fantasy manner. Diallo, I guess, could get there if his usage was high enough, but I don't, I don't know that that's happening even if George Hill is permanently moved. It doesn't seem like he's really tied to that. Let's go back to the beginning of the card, though. We jumped into the middle because C.J. McCollum was the storyline. The first game was uh, Denver and Boston. That was actually the only game going for about an hour on Tuesday night, and Boston got the win, which they needed. That's a team that's been kind of playing tired. Denver's down four starters in this game. Uh, well, eh, no, four players. Let's call them four key players because Porter Jr. is probably more of a starter long-term. Uh, but Paul Millsap out, Will Barton out, Jamal Murray was back in there, Monte Mur- uh, Morris was out, but they only down three. Doesn't matter. Uh, Gary Harris, sorry, that's the fourth one. Jokic got a little bit of help from Jamal Murray in this game, but those two guys together needed someone else. They scored 68 of the team's 99 points. Jokic and Jamal Murray shot 70% and 56% respectively, and the rest of the team was around 30-something. It was rough. Michael Porter went 0 for 8. I don't know, man. Maybe he never quite got back from the COVID stuff. It's quite possible. He's, he's brutal on defense, and so they can't afford to play him if he's not hyper-electric superhero offense. What was kind of interesting in this ballgame was Facundo Campazzo who was mentioned briefly on this podcast before the season started. Josh Lloyd talked about him as a very deep league guy, and you see why. He has a pretty good fantasy stat set. He just needs four guys out 
to get there. The beauty here, of course, is that Denver has another game today, the Wednesday card. They play back-to-back, and in all likelihood, the four guys that missed the game on Tuesday probably missed the game on Wednesday. We don't know that for sure. Maybe Monty Morris is back. I don't think Will Barton's back. I don't think Gary Harris is back, and I don't know that Paul Millsap really changes all that much for Campazzo because Jermichael Green slid in and did very little in his 28 minutes. So it looks like Campazzo might get another start and gigantic minutes again. They play the Wizards, so that should be a lot of offense. It's weird to see Denver only score 99 points in a ballgame. That's a, that's a rough look. Daniel Tice uh, had to sit this one out on the Boston side, and if he misses any time, which I don't think it's going to be maybe another game, maybe. I don't think it's going to be much. The Time Lord becomes a must-own, must-start guy if either of the other two Boston centers is out for any extended period of time, which, again, I don't think is the case. But since they've been relegated now to almost exclusively center minutes on this team. Semi Ojale got the start at power forward, played 30 minutes there. Uh, you'll see Grant Williams slide in and play a little bit of power forward from time to time as well, and then Tatum will slide up and play power forward. That means that you're looking at only two guys for the center bucket. Tristan Thompson's not playing more than about 27, 28 minutes a ball game. And so that, instead of Daniel Tice and Thompson and then Williams behind those two guys, he's only behind one. Robert at 8-8 eight and eight with five steals on a perfect 4-for-4 four four shooting in this ballgame. He is very, very Nerlens Noelian, which is not at all like Orwellian. It's Noelian, and you just need the pathway to it. So let's wait and get any kind of information we can on Tice. I don't think he's going to be out long-term, but maybe something comes up that's like, oh, it wasn't a sprain, it was actually something else. And then you'd go out and you make the jump on the Time Lord. Otherwise, no real surprises on that Boston side. New Orleans beat Memphis. I mean, the Grizzlies are so difficult to figure out these days. Zion, Ingram, and Josh Hart were the big games on the Pelican side. Hart has been kind of quietly and very inconsistently hovering near the edge of the top 100 the last month or so. This ball game gets him just on the good side of that ledger, and then he'll go through some really quiet ones. I like Hart. I think he's a guy that could step into more consistent value if J.J. Redick gets traded, and he's very clearly in the pecking order in front of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I, I told you guys you didn't need to worry about stashing him this early, and hopefully you didn't. Memphis side, they're just playing everybody. Brandon Clark, only 16 minutes. He picked up five fouls. Uh, presumably, that'll be better in the next one. Get him out of foul trouble and get him back to doing good stuff. And uh, maybe it's an opportunity to buy there if you think if, if you can find someone in your league with him that's worried this is something that becomes the norm. Lakers beat Minnesota in a tight ball game. They actually did cover by one bucket. LeBron, 30-13-7. He's going to have to do a lot with Anthony Davis out. Montrez Harrell did a little bit more, uh, didn't play very much, interestingly enough. Marcus Soule, strangely, was the guy who did elevate his game in the post-Anthony Davis era here for, you know, three weeks. Although, by the way, if AD comes back on the other side of the All-Star break, that's also not that many missed games because you get to work that off week in there. And we'll hope that that's the case. We all... Myself included, thought Kyle Kuzma was going to be a guy who did a whole bunch of stuff. He didn't. 7-4 and four with a block and a, and a three-pointer. Uh, not going to be enough. Not going to cut it on a game-to-game -game basis. I think he will probably be better in the next one. 
But keep an eye on Marc Gasol, because historically he's had a much more interesting fantasy profile than Kuzma. If Gasol has one more good ball game, you just scoop him up and then run him out there for, you know, the next six or so into the break and probably can punt on him then. But I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of thing you need to see twice. For Minnesota, we got word on D'Angelo Russell. He is out for a month. He had knee surgery to fix a sore, or a leg surgery, I guess, to fix a sore leg. Uh, I think they said four to six weeks. So he's out through the All-Star break, which means our Ricky Rubio preemptive grab from a week and a half ago actually is turning out to be potentially quite lucrative. Malik Beasley had an off-shooting night. Anthony Edwards had an on-game, and he's just... I mean, he's just getting better by the week. And Cat is a potential buy low. He he doesn't have his legs underneath him to this point, and it, it's probably COVID-related. I would say go float some offers because this is a type of game that knocks him down a little bit. I mean, you know, down to seven, so long way to go to get off the very high pedestal he's set for himself. But you could probably have Cat Uh, Even cheaper than that, because I think a lot of folks are probably looking at these games and thinking, how long is it going to take this dude to get back to full strength? And we all feel for him, too. So I don't don't want this to come off as callous in any way. We just have to analyze it from a fantasy standpoint. He's a buy low. But you got to be willing to ride out. I mean, he might not be himself until after the All-Star break either. Can you afford? Can you handle? I don't know, eight, ten games where he's still not back. And then you're only getting 30-some-odd good cat games if he even stays healthy. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. Consider it, though. It's not a crazy one. Jared Vanderbilt, 4-13 and 13 with two steals. He is very firmly on our radar now. Played 29 minutes in this ballgame. He's really interesting from a rebounding and defensive stats standpoint. He is not wildly owned in fantasy leagues, only 10% owned. After a 23-minute start against Toronto with 12-7 and in two blocks, and this one, only four points, that's not going to light up the radar, but 13 boards, two steals. Good field goal percent because he ain't taking shots outside of a couple of feet from the bucket. And if you look at his season numbers, in 19 minutes he's at 6-6 six and six with 1.7 defensive stats. What if you add another 50% to that? Maybe that's a bit aggressive. I don't think he's getting to 27 and a half minutes of ball game, but maybe get him up to 25 minutes. Add like another 35-40% to what he has right now. You're talking about eight points, eight rebounds, almost three assists, two and a half to three assists, almost one and a half steals, and over a block of ball game. You know who that also sounds like? Nerlens Noel. But actually better assists and possibly better rebounds. This is a guy that should probably be more heavily rostered than he is. And one of the things, remember, we talked about it, Vanderbilt put up some decent ball games while Cat was out, but his minutes bounced around quite a lot. He doesn't score, so you're staring down the barrel of whatever that situation is going to present to you. The defensive stats are good, but not overwhelming. And there's so many low-minute games blended in for him over that stretch that checking the game log, you can kind of get lost in the minutia. Like a 16-minute game where he had 3-2-2 and and a block. But then if you look a little farther back and he had a 25-minute game, where it was like 4, 
seven, four, two, and one, five boards, two assists, steal and a block, eight boards, a steal and a block. He has a path inside the top 100, but his minutes really can't drop below 23. That's the low watermark. So he's not quite Noelian. He needs a few extra minutes, I would venture to say. Um, but some of that is also because he's playing power forward and not center. He's their center on offense, and he's their power forward on defense. Keep an eye on on Jordan Vanderbilt. I, like, I really think that he is dramatically under-rostered, given what could actually shake out for him here over the next, I don't know, maybe this is the path Minnesota takes. Could he get up to eight rebounds a ball game with Cat next to him? That's a that's a big question mark. That's the one thing you've well, a couple of things. That's one of them. We talked about Portland, Oklahoma City already. Toronto beat Milwaukee on the road. Kyle Lowry uh, has a sore ankle. It's unclear the significance of all of this, but hopefully he won't be gone for long. Chris Boucher played very well. Toronto went to the five best starting lineup in this game. Pascal Siakam at center. And Anobi, the power forward. This, by the way, is why I drafted Norman Powell everywhere, because I thought he was going to be their starting small forward. And then instead they decided to go big until, well, you looked at this and they were like, oh, well, they opened it all up and everything was gravy. They shot 51% against the Bucks, put up a buck 24 on them. I don't think they're going back to the big lineups unless they're dealing with a traditional starting center on the other side. And, and for Milwaukee, it was Brooke Lopez. So they could throw... Siakam on him. Lopez is mostly camping out at the three-point line. He'll put one of those slow-motion post moves every once in a blue moon. Uh, So Toronto was able to kind of get away with it here. And they'll probably do it again. A note on Norman Powell, though. 11 points, three boards, three assists, a steal, and a three-pointer. This is a far cry from the numbers he was putting up when Toronto didn't have their normal starting, call them starting four, that are ahead of him in the pecking order. So this bumps him back down to fifth fiddle. And historically, that's kind of been the cutoff for Toronto, if you're the fifth fiddle. But I don't care here, because Powell played 34 and a half minutes. And if you're playing 34 minutes, you're going to be a fantasy value. So stick with him. Maybe you even have a very narrow buy window here. If people with Powell are looking at him like, ah, you know, Ananobi came back and my guy had a rougher game. But he played a ton. He just didn't shoot very much. Siakam and Freddie Van Fleet did all of the shooting. How good has Freddie Van Fleet been? He's number 15 still. I do think he, he will come back a little bit, but damn. You know, the .7 blocks, that's the thing that leaps off the page as unusual. Bobby Portis, another... Damn serviceable game. I I don't know how he's continuing to do this, but he's number 76 in nine-category leagues this year. Still. Go figure. Are the wheels ever going to come off that thing? Maybe not. He's almost at the halfway point right now. Phoenix led by over 20 points. They biffed it. James Harden, 38-7-11 and 11 with the rest of his team basically out for this ball game. Joe Harris, who I adore Joe Harris. He's number 80 in nine-category leagues, and he doesn't do much of anything in, like, five or six categories, but he's just so damn good in threes, field goal percent, turnovers, that it covers everything else. It's really hard to get three three three-pointers out of a guy who's shooting 53%. Do you know what that can do 
to the field goal percent of your team, it's a really big deal. Most of the guys that are knocking down three three-pointers a game are shooting 40-some-odd percent from the field. The guys who aren't, Steph, Kyrie, like who, look at the board. Who are the guys hitting three or more three-pointers a game, shooting better than 50% from the field? Paul George, Zach Levine, and Joe Harris. Ooh, and uh, and Kyrie. Is it Kyrie? Yeah, Kyrie also. That's it. Larry Markinen gets an honorary mention. He's at 2.9 three-pointers and shooting 51%. But his number probably was about set to regress. Uh, the other guys on that board might not. Steph Curry, by the way, he also gets a mention. He's at five three-pointers a game, shooting 49.9%. We can go ahead and round that up. We'll, we'll put Steph in that category as well. One of these things, obviously, not like the others, in that Joe Harris is a much lower-volume guy at 10.5 shots per game. But again, 3.3 three-pointers, 53% shooting. That's valuable. That means that you know he covers a big chunk of what you need in three-point percentage or in, in total three-pointers for your team, whatever, head-to-head, roto, whatever it might be, without putting the typical dent into your field goal percent. Not only does he actually not hurt you, but he's helping this year. I dig it. I dig it. I know he doesn't do much else, but that is that is such a critical combination because it opens up some other stuff you can do with the rest of your roster. Chris Paul, 29-4-7, and seven, four three-pointers, 12 for 20 shooting, and a free throw with this big ball game. Our good buddy, old man Christopher, has slid into number 24. He is now officially a second rounder on a per-game basis on the season. And here he comes again, man. By totals, by the way, number 19, because he's only missed one game so far. I think, right? How many games have the Suns played? The Suns have played 26 games. Chris Paul's at... What? That's not right. They played 27. He's played 26. 17 points, almost five boards, over eight assists, 1.3 steals. Those have come around, 49 from from the field. He's shooting a ridiculous 97% of the free throw line. That will probably come down a little bit. So you can dial him a tiny bit back there. Uh, but the scoring's actually been trending up and the steals have been trending up to sort of counterbalance that. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, you can pretty much tell my mood based on how Chris Paul's been doing and Chris Paul's been doing what he's been doing. He's been dealing. He's number 13 over the last month. 25 and 8. 1.7 steals, 52% from the field. Two threes, 97% free throw shooter. Basically a first rounder over the last month. Missed it. Missed it by that much. They won't let poor DeAndre Aiden get any shots of his own. His, all of his stuff is putbacks and lobs, which is, you know, cool if you're into the very high field goal percent but fewer opportunities part of the proceedings. But that's not what I wanted. That's not what any of us wanted. He's number 75 on the season because he actually hasn't had many defensive stats either. And looking at his numbers, there was indi- there was an indication that that might have been happening on its own anyway. 
Now, this admittedly was a decent ballgame. 16-9 and nine with a block and a three-pointer, two assists, seven for nine shooting, made his free throw, only one turnover. No one's going to argue with that as a line that's better than he was doing prior to this ballgame. But, you know, 16-9 and nine is not what you were drafting in the second round. That's a fourth-round type of, type of line. That's poor man's Jonas Valanciunas, as we talked about earlier this week. The one guy I had my eye on in this ballgame, no one on the Brooklyn side, because they were in zombie mode here with no KD and no Kyrie, which, of course, opened things up for old Jeffrey Green over there, is Jay Crowder on the Phoenix side. He had 15-7-3, a steel block, three three-pointers, and, you know, he's he's been sort of bouncing back and forth between rosterable and not. Some of that having to do with his overall health. You know, he had a couple of ball games there right at the beginning of the month where it seemed like his injury was maybe getting the best of him. He played 16 minutes in that game in Dallas, and then he played 13 minutes before exiting and then taking a week off. If you pull those two games out, he's inside the top 100 on the year. Can't pull those two games out because if you were starting him every day, you got those. But he's around 28 minutes a game. And if you pull those two games out, he's around 30. 30 minutes a ball game is not far, really, from where he was in Memphis last year when he shot pretty close to the same number. He was 36.8% in Memphis. He's at 373 with Phoenix right now. More three-pointers with Phoenix than with Memphis. But otherwise, the stuff is pretty parallel. He was at 10 points, 6 boards, 3 assists in Memphis. He's at 10 points, 5 boards, 2 assists here in Phoenix with a steal. So if you're wondering about how this levels off for Crowder, look at what he did last season before he got traded. And then, if you want, if you, you, know, if you want to play a game of, you know, what if you could dodge the game where he plays 15 minutes and gets hurt, which... You can't because no one has that clairvoyant ability. You know, he had he had one three-pointer in those two games. So, you know, pull that two-game sample out where he had half a three-pointer over two games, and he certainly improves. His 2.3 becomes you know, 2.4, 2.5 per game on the year. He had a total of five points in those two games, so his 10.1 probably goes up to... 10 point something, maybe gets a little closer to 11. Uh, he had a grand total of four rebounds in those two games. So, you know, that that average would move him back up towards 5.4, 5.5. The, all, the point of all of this, this needlessly long Jay Crowder side chat, is that he's not rostered in many places. And he does provide a very typical three. He is like the prototypical three and D guy, but his field goal percent is is rat poopy. Uh, two and a half three pointers a game, ten points, five and change rebounds, two and change assists, and a steal. There's a place for that on rosters. That's the kind of thing where, like, if you traded away Tim Hardaway Jr. in a two for one type of package deal, Jay Crowder, you could just pick him up and plop him in there and, you know, lose a few points and gain a few other things. He's a lot like a lot of other dudes in fantasy basketball. Interchangeably so, not in a way where I would suggest you need to go out and pick him up, but more so in a, hey, if you have a guy in your team who's not that different from this, and maybe he's slumping or hurt 
or you put him in a trade. Maybe you took someone who's a little bit better on the year than Crowder, but kind of similar makeup. Like, let's look at guys in the uh, between 80 and 100 on the board right now, and let's see if we can find someone who's not that far off uh, from Jay Crowder. Like, maybe someone who took Royce O'Neal in a trade from you. I don't know. Nobody's all that interested in Royce O'Neal. Maybe someone took Kevin Herter. Maybe you put Kevin Herter in a trade with, like, JV, and uh, you got back a top 45 type of guy. So you turn Valanchunas, who's right around number 60, into, say, Rashawn Holmes. Like, let's say you did Herter and JV for Rashawn Holmes, and then you were like, well, who do I pick up to fill my roster slot that was Kevin Herter? You're like, oh, cool. Uh, I'll throw Jay Crowder in there. That's that's the type of situation I'm talking about right now. He's He's an adequate replacement player. Streamer. But he's a full-season streamer. Like, you could just plug him in whenever you wanted to. He'll probably, if not for the missed ball games, he'll probably compile his way inside the top 100 the rest of the way, if he's healthy. There's your big if. Guys, head on over to hoop-ball.com and check out the wager pass, the fantasy pass, the DFS pass, and Hoop Ball 360. The Fantasy Pass has both the full season and the DFS package built into it. DFS Pass is a buck ninety-nine a month, not a day, a month. You get Discord access, exclusive Discord access to our team of DFS pros and a daily breakdown of every single ball game and pricing tier favorites from that DFS team. That again, buck ninety-nine a month. Fantasy Pass four ninety-nine a month. Again, exclusive. Discord fantasy access, including the Tweet Storms. You guys might remember those from seasons gone by. I do those with the great Adam King this year. You've got nightly live chats, video Q&A shows, projections, streaming charts, scheduling grids, dynasty boards, rankings, 8-cat, 9-cat, all that stuff. That's $4.99 a month. And, again, that includes the DFS pass. And if you're into sports betting, the wager pass is growing. We currently have seven analysts, but that may be on its way to nine or ten, all in the same $9.99 a month plan. Plays from everybody. Analysis from everybody. All in one easy-to-navigate thread. And, of course, HoopBall360, that's got all of the above for just $12.99 a month. Check those out today at hoop-ball.com. Click on the Premium tab and learn more about the package that makes the most sense for you take that information that you just got. Go to mybookie.ag. Sign up for a new account with promo code HOOPBALL. Make your first deposit and shoot me a tweet at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com with the subject line, I just made an account at mybookie, and I've got a prize for you. Would love to show it to you, but you got to do those steps to do it. Again, make an account at mybookie.ag with promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, and then holler at me. Let me know you did it, and I can get you some goodies. They might be green goodies. They just might. Do not pass that by. A weird Wednesday on the docket, if only because, again, we started with whatever it was, 11 ball games, went down to 8, it's back up to 9. Or is it back up to 10 now? 
Might be back up to 10. It is a real screwball of a day. We don't have any betting lines, which is great because I didn't want to talk about that all that much anyway. Fantasy watch stuff. Here's homework analysis. New York is in Orlando. The Knicks are basically fantasy homework right now, and so are the Magic. So that's a wonderful game for you to put on your docket things to watch. We know Nerlens Noel with no Mitchell Robinson is going to cook. We know Julius Randle is going to cook. What we don't know is what the crap else is going on out there because quickly he's in there and he's taking shots like they're going out of style. Derek Rose is sort of the commander of the second unit now. Alec Burks has vanished. Reggie Bullock has helped kill Alec Burks. RJ Barrett, who was more of a points league guy to begin with, he's semi-vanishing with Derek Rose around. There's a lot hanging in the balance in New York, and you you don't want to miss it if something rises above the rest. Similarly in Orlando, it's looking more and more like Michael Carter-Williams is indeed the point guard there. We'll, we'll know more when Cole Anthony is healthy. Maybe that ends up a timeshare, but the Magic do seem better with Michael Carter-Williams. Interested to see what happens when Evan Fournier comes back and then Aaron Gordon, who shouldn't be that far away at this point. It's been a couple of weeks now. So um, if you're Orlando, I know the, the initial thought, and, and I believe they should throw in the towel and blow things up. They're 10 and 18. They're not good. They're not particularly good even when they're fully healthy. But the Eastern Conference has, you know, screw the play-in. The Magic are eight games under 500. they are only three games out of a playoff spot right now. So if they just sort of tread water for a little bit, don't lose too many damn ball games, get Fournier and Gordon back, they might convince themselves they still have something to play for. So keep watching them. I don't think there's this big youth movement coming anytime soon, at least. And that's why I think Carter Williams actually gets that job. Slumping Atlanta Hawks are in Boston. Celtics on the back-to-back. Do they trap Trey Young? That's the question going into every one of these ballgames right now, and teams are starting to figure it out. Would love a more significant update on Daniel Tice on the Boston side. Houston, sounds like Victor Oladipo out. We'll see if anybody else is back. They're in Philadelphia to take on the 76ers, who head home after a relatively rough road trip. I mean, this is a team, Philly's been slumping a little bit. Houston is just beaten to a pulp right now ugly ass ball game potentially coming up here we'll see how it goes not much fantasy wise with with houston until you actually get them healthy then again maybe they just never will be indiana at minnesota if doug mcdermott's still out get some more tj mcconnell action timberwolves on the back end of a back-to-back after losing to the lakers they've been uh they've been more fun lately Nothing of real note with Minnesota except for Jared Vanderbilt, who we just talked about for four or five minutes, so no reason to rehash that discussion. Detroit is in Chicago. This is the fixed ball game. Those two teams were set to play two separate opponents. Bulls were going to be in Charlotte. Pistons were going to be in Dallas. Texas is experiencing some severe weather and power outages, so they're unable to play their ball game. Uh, so those two teams decided to play each other because they didn't have any reason not to be in action. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? Detroit, there's some stuff to watch. Sadiq Bay with Blake Griffin sitting. I think he'll be good for a couple of ball games. Then he'll probably have a Sekou Dembuyo-like rookie wall situation where just wham. Although he's a little older than Sekou was last year. 
I just, I don't know. I think, I think, I'm not sure Bay's fantasy game fully translates yet. And there's still, I mean, you never know. Keep an eye on him. And Chicago doesn't play much defense either, so that could be useful. Wendell Carter Jr., let's check out his minute total in this ball game. I'm not starting him yet, but I ain't far. Denver on the back-to-back in Washington. We already talked about the Nuggets and possible streamer options there in Campazzo. Wizards look happy their last two ball games. They played well against Boston. They played well against a bad Houston team. Now they get a real opponent coming in. And I don't know what fully to make of it. How's Mo Wagner going to look against Nikola Jokic? I'm guessing not great. Is Russell Westbrook going to start to actually hit a shot? I mean, he is posting one of the most inefficient seasons ever. But they are not as horrible lately with him on the floor. He hasn't been any more passive, so yeah, can't blame it on that. Uh, maybe they're just starting to learn how to play with one another a tiny bit. A tiny bit. A little bit of defense goes a long way. Doesn't take much. Portland in New Orleans. Pelicans just had that crazy game yesterday. They're favored by three. It's the only betting line on the board for Wednesday night. Blazers, same old stuff. Pels, same old stuff. Thunder, same old stuff. Memphis, same old stuff. Can't stand those two teams right now. Keep an eye on Maladone, though. And I'd love it if DeAnthony Melton could get back so we could get a, a feel for him. Miami, boy, they look terrible. They're in Golden State. Warriors have been uh, playing relatively well outside of the Nets ball game. Utah is in L.A. to take on the Clippers. We don't know who's playing. Kawhi Leonard is questionable as of right now. Paul George out. Nick Batum out. Guessing Pat Beverly is in. And this should be a pretty fun ball game. Utah has just been throttling people lately. I, you know, Clippers have looked really good. But I got to throw the caveat in there. They beat a Heat team that is not playing well. They beat a Cavaliers team that's among the worst teams in the NBA, if not the worst right now. They beat the Bulls. That was a decent enough win. And then the Timberwolves. That's the last four wins for the Clippers. Nothing really impressive in there. The win over the Heat without most of their guys was pretty good. I'll give them that one. But this is the front end of a back-to-back with with Utah uh, or rematch set because the games are not on consecutive days. Fantasy-wise, on the Clippers, you know, you we're, we're really just waiting to see guys getting back in the mix. Pat Beverly's minute count. Marcus Morris has been on a heater. Lou Williams has been on a bit of a heater. If Kawhi is back for this one, what does that mean for the rest of these dudes? Where the hell is Paul George? We get any kind of update on that bone edema. Zubats played really well in their last one against the Heat. Does he now get a, a nice opportunity against Rudy Gobert? What do they throw Ibaka in there to try to stretch the floor a little bit? That might be the move. We shall see. Fantasy-wise, um, you know, there's nothing with Utah, and for the Clippers, it's all of that stuff. I don't think I trust any of those guys enough to dump them in. When you're looking rest-of-season stuff, uh, Zubats, as soon as I write him off, he comes roaring back in. I don't think Marcus Morris is getting enough minutes or touches, really, once this team is healthy. But then the question becomes, will they be? How far away, really, is Paul George? So there's a lot bouncing around on that Clippers side, but I don't know that there's anything as imminent pickup drop-wise as there is on a team like, say, the Knicks or the Magic. Some of those earlier games talking about the Wizards, even. Pistons, Bulls, places... These teams have things that might actually shake loose 
With the Clippers, I think you're just looking for a little bit more info. And that's your uh, Big Wednesday. I I mean, altered Big Wednesday. Who knows? Who knows? It's another weird one. Uh, As I've been talking about all week, folks, if you guys want to get involved in our podcast divisions, hit me up. But you got to be ready to sink your teeth into this thing. This is not a screw around. This is a real project. If you want to grow something significant and special from the ground up, shoot me a line on Twitter, at Dan Bespers, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Thanks again for all the ratings and reviews. Love you guys. You guys are the best on that one. And again, go to youtube.com slash hoopball to be a part of our fairly new, I mean, it's been around for a while, but really new since we've been putting some TLC into it, hoopball YouTube page. Let's wrap it up. That's enough of that nonsense. I'm Dan Baspers. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody back at you again Thursday morning. Same old stuff. You guys know how the midweek works around here. Break down a big old Wednesday set of results and turn our attention to a much shorter, simpler Thursday. Enjoy the night, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.